0: As we prepare to read the second scripture lesson, just a little bit of preparation. If you could open your hymnals and open to Hymn 173, Hymn 173, we will be singing at different parts as we read and hear the word proclaimed. So Hymn 173, keep it nearby and open. Reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. The first seven verses. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. Which of one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's sing verse 2 of hymn 173. So begin some of the most memorable stories that Jesus tells. Stories of losing something or someone. Stories of finding and being found. Stories of celebration, but also a story about bitter disappointment. In short, these are stories about life. These are stories about the good news of Jesus. So let's take one step back as we consider these stories. Let's notice a pattern Luke establishes here in this first story. The basic stories Jesus tells boil down to this. Someone loses something, that someone searches frantically for it, that someone finds it and throws a big, ridiculous party to celebrate. We'll come back to this, but remember that basic pattern. Second, notice here in chapter 15 that Jesus tells three stories together a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. We should and we will read these stories together as Luke hoped we would. Notice also that Jesus tells the story in order to respond to the grumbling of certain scribes and Pharisees. Again, we'll come back to this, but remember three stories to answer the grumbling. And third, let's think about the importance of this chapter for Luke and let's Think about it in a potentially strange way. Go with me on this. Let's imagine that Luke had composed his gospel, not on papyrus, but on Twitter. What would he have said? If he only had a few characters, which words, which emojis, which hashtags would he have used? The question is silly, of course, because he could have just threaded his tweets to escape the character limits. Or maybe he would look at Twitter and wonder how in the world one can communicate with such brevity. Luke, after all, is responsible for a quarter of the New Testament. But despite all its many, many misuses, there is something clarifying about a space like Twitter. With so few characters available for any tweet, we reveal what we think is most important. We expose our character in ways that might surprise us. We name our deepest convictions in just a few words. So maybe today is a good day to think about a place like Twitter. But better yet, today is a great day for us to assess once again, to learn anew what we really hold dear in this life, what faithfulness looks like in that imagination that shapes our daily walk with Christ. And here is where the question gets serious, I think what is the core of the gospel what is the center of the good news of jesus if we only had a handful of words a few minutes to share with someone what the good news of jesus is all about what would we say what would we write would we choose a bold theological declaration like jesus saves us from our sin or maybe believe in jesus and live eternally or even Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Would we even have to choose a sentence that ends with a period? What if we summarize the gospel with an exclamation point? Hallelujah! Or he is risen, or Christ, the Lamb of God. What if we boil down the gospel to a question? Who do people say that I am? Who is my neighbor? Whom shall I send?" Or better yet, what if we told a story? What if the gospel is not just something we confess, not just a set of beliefs we voice, but a story into which we are woven? A story we tell others, a story that describes us, that describes you and me? What if the best way to boil down the good news of Jesus is to tell a really good story? A story so powerful that it sticks with us, a story so good that it carries new levels of meaning every time we share it. I think this is the kind of story Luke tells, and beautifully so in chapter 15. I'm convinced that if Luke only had one chapter's worth of papyrus, if he only had one tweet, he would have written the three stories of Luke 15. Luke sets up these three stories by noticing that there were tax collectors and sinners coming near to listen to Jesus. These tax collectors and sinners draw the ire of the Pharisees and the scribes who grumble about the company Jesus keeps. You see, Jesus has a tendency to eat with all the wrong kinds of people, and tax collectors and sinners are, to make up a word, the wrongest of them all. Tax collectors you might know something about. In antiquity, tax collectors were neighbors designated by Rome to collect taxes every year. So imagine that one of your neighbors would come to your house every year and with the force of the empire at his back, demand some portion of your produce or your livestock or whatever else you produce. Then the tax collector would send along the proceeds, keeping a bit for himself to live on. But too often, the tax collector kept more than a little bit. He might keep a lot. And so tax collectors developed a reputation for stealing from their neighbors. These are not folks you want to invite for dinner. And what about these sinners? And here we run into a problem because you all are good Reformed Presbyterians. When we refer to sinners, to whom are we usually referring? All of us, right? We are all sinners in need of God's grace. But when Luke uses the word sinners, he doesn't really mean us, he doesn't mean you, he doesn't mean me. He means them, those people. In short, Jesus is eating with all the wrong kinds of people, and Jesus could have made my life as a preacher much easier if he just said, dudes, God loves tax collectors and sinners too, duh. But he doesn't. Instead, he tells us these three fabulous, memorable, and powerful stories. The first one we already heard this morning. A shepherd loses a sheep, finds it, and throws a big, ridiculous party. It's just one sheep, my dude. The second story is just like the first. Let's sing it together. So, hymn 173, verse one. pattern repeats, you see. A woman loses a coin, turns her house upside down looking for it, and when she finds it, what does she do? She throws a big, ridiculous party. A party that might have cost more than the coin she lost. The point here is the celebration. It's out of scale, it's over the top. It, It just doesn't make any sense at all. And then there's a third story And again, we'll sing verse three. At this point, we can anticipate Jesus' audience. Okay, Jesus, we get it. A father loses a son, the father finds his son again, there's a big, ridiculous party, a party even more ridiculous than the first two, because this son is such a scoundrel. We get it, Jesus, we get it. But there's a wrinkle to this story. So first, let me ask you all a a quick question. How many of you are are firstborn children? Raise your hands if you're a firstborn child. Okay, the rest of you don't listen for a moment. Remember how, like, your younger siblings got away with things we never got away with? And we, they got the cell phone early and the car early and remember all that? Here's the record scratch in this story. Here's where everything goes wrong. Here's where the pattern Jesus establishes gets broken because the older brother strides in and says what some of us firstborns were thinking. What a waste. How unfair for him For that, what he says, the scoundrel son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours? You throw this party? I'm the responsible one, and I've never gotten a party. Notice that the older brother doesn't say my brother, but this son of yours? I'm sure none of us have done this when our our children have misbehaved. Do you know what your son did today? Do you know what your daughter did today? (laughs) I confess that I read the story like a firstborn. I wonder why this father would Throw a party for a son who has wasted his inheritance, who has acted so faithlessly. But what if I'm looking at this all wrong? What if that younger brother was as lost as that coin and that sheep? What if that younger brother has no idea what he risked, what he lost, how close he was to losing who he was, when he turned his back on family and everything he knew. And yet, and yet, the father throws this big, ridiculous party. Jesus, the story just doesn't make any sense to me. And so we join the older brother, raging with frustration outside, and wonder why in the world he has done this. Why celebrate? Why rejoice? And here, perhaps, We learn what it means to be one of those scribes and Pharisees sneering at Jesus' company. Why them, Jesus? Why those people? Why do you hang out with those sinners? The three parables together communicate the good news that the good news of Jesus is not just for me as an individual, but for whole communities which are stitched back together by God who relentlessly seeks us all out. We are not the we God wants us to be as long as that sheep is wandering in the wilderness, that coin remains lost, and that annoying little brother is off wasting his inheritance. God's grace does not just ensure my salvation, but our wholeness as a people of God. Love is the we God wants us to be. This we cares for our neighbors near and far. Justice is the we God wants us to be. This we thirsts for righteousness. This we will not tolerate things as they are. Grace is the we God wants us to be. This we is about relationships even more than it is about thinking the right things or doing the right things. This we is not a dream, a hope for our future. This we is for right here and for right now. We are not the we God wants us to be as long as the lonely and the isolated and the grieving and the hopeless remain in cocoons of silence. We are not the we God wants us to be as long as those whose skin or gender marks them as lesser, flee from the free grace God offers all because some in the church have distorted the good news and made them feel like something other than God's precious children. We are not the we that God wants us to be as long as some of us are labeled with scorn as unwelcome, not one of us, refugee, illegal. We are not the we God wants us to be until we are gathered together at that big, ridiculous party God has thrown for all these sinners. And Luke teaches us that that party is not just for later. It starts right here, and it starts right now. Can you hear it? Can you hear the music? Do you smell the food? Did you get your invitation? No? That's okay. Here's a place for you, right here, in the middle of it all, even for the firstborn who has done everything right. My friends, what is the story you need to tell about Jesus? And what if that story spilled over into the lives of our neighbors? And what if that story dared to dream that the walls we build around ourselves and our communities are no obstacle to a God who is in the business of drawing us together? Now that, that would be a story worth telling because it's worth saying again and again. Let's close by singing verse 4. Let's carry that song with us as a call to love and grace with every step that we take.